And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Wednesday, November 2nd. Three World Series games in the books. Phillies sitting on a 2-1 series lead as we record midday Wednesday on the East Coast. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris and Britt Giroli. Britt on the scene in Philadelphia. The first question has to be, how loud was it at Citizens Bank Ballpark when Nick Castellanos made that sliding catch for the first out of the game? Guys, it registered in Philadelphia as seismic activity twice at Citizens Bank Park last night, like earthquake level actual noise. And that was one of them. So that's how loud it was. And I actually was there the last time the Phillies, I was there in 08 and 09 when the Phillies were in the World Series. And I kind of vaguely remembered that it was a crazy crowd, but you know, time kind of, you know, you kind of forget. And then yesterday I was like, oh, whoa, that's the crowd again. Um, You know, they, I didn't think they could get louder than the NLCS against the Padres, and they definitely got louder. Uh, there were so many like former Phillies out yesterday. It was like a huge city affair. And somebody said this to me, and I thought it was a perfect way to encapsulate what's going on in this city, that a city that really has fallen in love with the Eagles and football now is back in love with baseball again. I mean, this was a baseball city for so long, but the organization has just been such a mess such a dumpster fire for so many years that the Phillies really became kind of an afterthought and now you're seeing everyone get behind the city you're seeing Eagles coming out and saying like why are you pitching to Bryce Harper you're seeing the Philadelphia Flyers they all wore Phillies jerseys yesterday um so it's really become like Phil like the city of brotherly love is finally like using that attention towards the Phillies and then of course not to ramble but did you guys hear about this in true Philly fashion two restaurants in Philly, like famed restaurants, refuse to serve the Astros catering. <laughs> I did not hear about that. Amazing. Like, so Philly, right? They were like, no. And they posted it on social media, too. Like, nah, bro, not feeding the Phillies. I mean, not feeding the Astros. And people were like, yes, yes, this is the way to do it in Philly. And it's like, what are the poor Astros eating here? I don't even know. that's incredible yeah i mean it's just it's one of these games you look back at game three i i don't know how one play on the first out of the game can set the tone as much as a catch did but it 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 felt like that was the oh they're they're here like and they're they're ready to play like everything is going to maybe go philly's way and then of course in the bottom thing bryce harper hits that two-run homer which went on to lead to these all these other questions about Lance McCullers. Was Lance McCullers tipping pitches, or was Lance McCullers just too predictable and the Phillies simply had a great game plan prepared for how they wanted to attack him? So I'll throw this one to you first. You know, you know what's, your, what's your read on this situation? Because uh, there's a lot of theories floating around out there. 
Yeah, I had the live blog. So that was uh, something that I was uh, really watching uh, closely and um, did retweet an account that uh, purported to show McCullers tipping by raising his leg higher on breaking pitches um, and just generally just sort of being more upright and 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 taller on breaking pitches and the, you know the evidence that uh there's that evidence and then there's the evidence that bryce harper called alec Bohm over uh before he was uh, gonna go step into the on deck circle and, and sort of animatedly said something to him now there's been a sort of back and forth on twitter and some people reported that uh you know rival staffers say uh it was more likely that he kind of went over the scouting report with Baum and was like he's he's not throwing fastballs i don't know if i believe that because anybody in the stadium can see that Lance McCullers is not throwing fastballs it flashes the pitch type up there at any time like if Baum is watching he can see that he's not throwing fastballs so i doubt that Baum that that harper said that um, I think Harper thought he saw something. Now I did close watch after that and try to see if I could see the tipping. And I've talked to some other uh, major leaguers and, and former major leaguers since that said that they weren't sure that they could tell uh, that he was tipping. Um, so, you know, the other thing that I lean on is yes, I do think he's being pretty predictable. Like, you know, it could have just been an advanced scouting thing where, you know, they just were prepared for these kinds of runs Lance McCullers famously threw 24 breaking balls out of 25 before. You know, that's something that John Smoltz is talking about on the cast. What does he do to this game? He threw one fastball in, in the third inning. You know, so he was being predictable in that way. And even when he was trying to be unpredictable, he became predictable. It was so weird. In the fifth inning, he goes to the changeup, right? He throws six out of eight changeups. Now, to, to JT Realmuto, those are right-on-right changeups. That surprised Real Muto. Real Muto struck out. He throws. Uh, he keeps throwing changeups. And Kyle Schwarber says on the eighth, on the sixth changeup in eight pitches, says, "Yo, bro, I knew that was coming," and deposits it in center field. Yeah. So, like, I think I don't know if he just gets into patterns uh, or just really didn't trust his fastball. So everybody would just either keyhole the changeup with the slider. One of the home runs was on a fastball, and you know. I rambled, but you know, the thing is I, I, I lean towards tipping because I don't think that Bryce Harper pulls Baum over to say, you know, he's not throwing his fastball. I thought when he said, you could hear him do it on the broadcast in real time when he did it. I thought when he did it, what he said was so quick that it had to be something related to a visual cue. It couldn't have been a full on scouting report because it was less than, it seemed like less than a full sentence worth of information. That's that's the way I interpret it as it happened. So I don't know. That was just my take. Britt, how about you? Any other things you've seen or heard that that lead you to one side or the other of this debate? Yeah, I talked to guys who said watch his glove more so than his hand, that the positioning of his glove was further away from his face, I guess. And that's mm. something that as a hitter you can see very quickly. Uh, you know, you could see before almost like before they start, before they really get into the meat of their delivery, right? Um, so I thought that was interesting. McCullers, though, I was in the Astros clubhouse post game, and McCullers did not, at least publicly, want to play into it at all. He said, I got whooped. You know, I didn't execute pitches. This has nothing to do with tipping. But you do wonder if they knew what was coming because McCullers hadn't pitched in a World Series in five years, sure. But he also isn't a guy whose home run 
prone. This isn't Justin Verlander, who is a little bit more of a home run prone guy. This was so wildly out of character. And as you said, with Harper, who later Bohm was asked about that and said, that's between us, which again (laughs) adds to the speculation that he said something like watch his arm or watch his leg or watch something, right? That was prime for watch this, right? If he does this, this is coming. You're right. It was so quick that it wasn't a full scouting report. And, you know, Guys do talk all the time between at-bats and between innings and things like that. Uh, But the fact that Harper sought him out made you think that he had something that was not in the scouting report, that nobody else had, right? That he had kind of cracked some kind of code. Right. If the advanced scouts had already said it, you're not like, oh, remember what the advanced scouts did. You you had the hitter meeting, you know? (laughs) Remember this. Um, But also, what people don't realize is there are people in these dugouts who their sole job is to pick apart and look for guys tipping pitches in the postseason, especially. There are guys who sit in the video room, there are guys who don't play, whose entire job is to try to crack the code of what the pitcher is doing. It seemed like the Phillies figured something out with Lance McCullers. Yeah, maybe he didn't execute. Maybe he got too predictable. Maybe they knew he was not going to throw any fastballs. That's all fine and well, but it seemed like they knew what was coming, and I think everybody in the stadium knew he wasn't pitching well except for Dusty Baker. Something that was really cool, by the way, in the first inning uh, was a production technique that they actually used on the broadcast. As Bryce Harper's plate appearance was beginning, they piped in the PA announcer from the stadium and his at-bat music, right? And they kind of shot it like MLB The Show. So it, it, it felt different when Bryce Harper was stepping up to the plate for that first uh, plate appearance, by the way. So, Britt, you were there. So you, you got to experience the real thing, but I thought that was a really nice thing that, that they put together to make everyone watching at home kind of feel more like they were there. And then, of course, with the homer, it turned into this this really kind of classic sort of postseason moment. And it, and it was uh, and it was like Priya. I mean, we've been down on, you know, at least the Twitterati have been down on Smoltz in some of the announcing. Uh, I thought it was great announcing. I mean, they they, they went over the fact that, uh, you know, Lance McCullers is throwing all these breaking balls. Uh, and that that allows you to sit breaking ball. And if he leaves it up a little bit, bang it. And then that's exactly what happened. Like it was yeah. a little bit of a middle middle. I will say this, like there's I don't think there's any there was any stuff missing from McCullers. Uh, when I looked at the movement profiles, they're all the same as normal. Uh, yeah. And he was he was up two ticks on the fastball. So I think his stuff was there. The one thing that I had said going into the game was, Location does matter. Command does matter. And Ranger Suarez had much better command. Ranger Suarez commanded all six of his pitches better than any by, you know, I have the stat location plus that looks at the locations of pitches. Ranger Suarez commanded all six of his pitches better than Lance McCullers commanded any of his over the regular season. Hmm. So it was a battle of command and stuff. Now, if Lance McCullers had even a tiny bit better command, then we then you might have gone totally differently because he does have pretty wipeout stuff. But Suarez yeah. was the one that that executed his game plan, had the command. He did have an extra two ticks of velo himself, but he was able to sort of harness that and still command his pitches. And I thought it was really fun to watch Suarez. It's you know, it's that kind of I have six pitches, I can command them, I can put them in different quadrants, and you don't really know what's coming, kind of pitching a little bit more than McCullers being like, I have this awesome slider, and you're gonna see it over and over again. Yeah, it is interesting you mentioned the stuff, you know, because McCullers said last night, my stuff was there, and I know because I can check on the iPad. You know, and that's yeah. what people don't don't realize. Like, he, he's His checking. and he's the same. Yeah, he's checking, and he's looking between innings. And, you know, there was nothing super alarming. So 
he felt like he just didn't have a good game plan. And I agree with, with you, DVR, on Smoltz. I think he he loses me when he tries to go like big picture analysis, like angry man at cloud it's with some of the never, analytic trends. It's not as good as it used to be. Yes, but he's never better than when he's analyzing batter pitcher matchups because obviously you have a Hall of Fame pitcher. You have this mindset, and he's able to say like, oh, I would go with this pitch here. Oh, I wouldn't go here. And he's almost always right when it comes to that stuff. When he digs into the pitcher and the batter and kind of what goes in that little chess match, he's terrific. I think people like to hate on him for some of his other comments when he gets too far out of his lane. But when he just hones in on stuff like last night, he makes for a really informed experience. Yeah, I think, I, I think I, Britt answered your your the, the, the title question you had there. It was the first part. Why did they leave him in so long? Because Uh, the colors, because the colors stuff seemed fine. Right. But, 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 but. but. I know there's big butts. You have like nine arms you can use out there. Yes. That's exactly exactly what I was wondering. It's like we, we, all we've done throughout this entire postseason is praise the Astros for having pitching depth on pitching depth on pitching depth. They'll never run out of pitching. If a game goes to extra innings, it favors the Astros because their bullpen's better. Their starters they don't need are better. Everything about their depth is better. And in a game where the Phillies, I think, kind of clearly had figured things out against McCullers, even though he did have a stretch of two and a third, I think, where either no one reached or he just kind of settled down for a little bit, letting him go back through the lineup for the start of the third time through seemed like a huge mistake. Jose Urquidy pitched for the first time in this postseason, and it was too late, right? So I think, why, why not go to that bullpen a little I sooner? I think the answer is they don't trust Jose Urquidy and maybe even Luis Garcia, because if you think about it, Luis Garcia didn't come into the Mariners, that Mariners game that he pitched so well. He didn't come into it until like the 11th or 12th or something, right? Like he was, he was like the last pitcher standing, you know? They were like, okay, finally, Luis Garcia. They're not going to him earlier in games. And they went to, and just just the way they used Jose Urquidy last night says they don't trust Jose Urquidy. So we may see a really good pitching staff that's really deep but they may see a pitching staff of guys that they don't want to go to. So when they thought they could win the game, they thought the next pitcher would be Ryan Stanek, right? Because he's a really good reliever. So when they did change, they went to Ryan Stanek. They didn't even go to Jose Urquidy first because the plan was, if we think we can win the game, we use Ryan Stanek and we start using our relievers. We don't use Jose Urquidy. Jose Urquidy is the plan when we've lost the game already. So they, they must the just game. not... I know. Then. So they must just not trust Jose Arquiti. Yeah, or I guess they're seven u- to nothing. Who cares? Just to put him in. I think Why they were using. In? Yeah, well, that part that is weird. By that time, yeah, <laughs> Makes yeah, no sense. yeah. That that was hey. that was the thing. If you even don't go to your Kitty or Kitty when you do, or don't go to him sooner, go to Stanek a little sooner because the game yeah. still mattered at that point. That either way. I think you might be right about how they view Jose Urquidy. They might look at him now the way they looked at Jake Odorizzi in the past, where you're happy to have that guy in the regular season, you to the postseason, and it's okay if he pitches, but you don't really want him to be out there. I think with Luis Garcia, maybe, maybe there was yelled. more thought in game four and game five. <laughs> yeah, he, he pitched great. He pitched, yeah. pitched really well once he came in, but maybe saving Luis Garcia for the later part of the series was part of the thinking. I mean, there's any number of, of twists and turns here, but because Javier, to, you know, in, in the Javier, next game yeah. tonight, Christian Javier is probably not going to go that deep. He's a fastball slider guy and he doesn't have great command either. I think that they'll be happy to get five innings out of him. Yeah. But here's the thing that flummoxes me. And so many people in the press box last night were like, what is going on? Dusty managed that game. Like they were willing to just concede the game. 
as soon as it got to be four to nothing, they left McCullers out there. He should, as soon as it was four to nothing, he should have been out. I know he then pitched like two scoreless frames. As soon as Marsh at the bottom of the order gets a hit, you do not allow Lance McCullers, who clearly doesn't have it, to face the Schwarber in the top of the lineup a third time through, right? That's when you go to your bullpen. But he didn't. He let the guy hang out there. And McCullers even kind of made one comment about how he was still out there last night. So that you wave the game and then you bring in Stanick, who is not like a, that's when you do go to the guys you don't trust. Cause the game, that is should over. Have been okay. that's when you do, yeah, yeah. that's when you do wave the white flag. So it was very, it seemed like at four to nothing, Dusty was like, oh, we're just going to lose this game. You have a bullpen full of guys. Maybe you don't trust those starters that are in the bullpen, but watch what the Phillies do. Rob Thompson several times has brought in Alvarado or another high leverage guy very early on in the game. Dusty could have done that. He could have gone, all right, we're still here at four to nothing. Let's keep it here. I'm going to go to my relievers. And it's not like they have one or two good relievers. They've got a parade of actual good relievers. Even if they pitch Stanek for the fifth, even if they pitch Stanek for the fifth, it's five nothing versus seven nothing. I mean, it's just easier. You know, it's just exactly. And you have a chance. So it just seems like, and Dusty did this in game one with Verlander. He does not manage with urgency in these World Series games. These World Series games, every game is a must win game. Yeah, and it just didn't seem like it doesn't seem like he's managing with the same urgency that the maybe the are thought on the other is side. maybe the thought is the you know the there there is that depth that's a strength and in the next two games uh you know given that they're three in a row uh just have everybody healthy and really go hard on these next two but you're right why not go hard on <laughs> on game three yeah. it's like it's very oh, we'll go hard on games four and five but game three yeah. You know, game three is a big, a big, you know, momentum shift in terms of the teams that win game three and go ahead to one usually win. You know, there are six days left of the season at most. You also know that your relievers have had two days off. Everyone has had two days off because of the rain out. Yeah. So you get let's guess what? Put your big boy pants on. This is the time to pitch those relievers three days in a row if you need to. I don't understand the lack of urgency at all. And you wonder if this is going to end up costing the Astros because last night was a more winnable game on paper. Now you have Nola. You know you're going to get Wheeler, right? Like so, the Phillies now feel really good because they won Game Three and they've got two games at home where they I'm haven't so lost annoyed. all season. I made my pick uh, of uh, picking the Astros last night when uh, there was no rain delay, and I and I thought oh, for a second when it was first. Yeah, and I thought for a second, you know what, I, you know, Suarez, I should change my pick. But, you know, the pick pieces are written, so that felt kind of like, you know, do, that felt kind of like icky, you know, I'm going to change my pick, you know. So I just stick, stuck with it. But I definitely, as soon as they, they announced Suarez for that, I was like, ooh, this is way closer to a pick em game because uh, Suarez is, is pretty decent. Now, what is the plan for tonight? Because I know I've seen Nola, but I've also seen Nola slash. Like, is Nola not actually starting the game? No, it's it's Nola as far as I know. Okay. Nola and Javier. But, I mean, you do, you do wonder. Because the crazy thing is the Phillies won that game last night with their B bullpen. So yeah. They got all their A arms tonight. So Nola only needs to go five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what you'd I mean? Love it. You'd love it if he'd go six. He's on short, is he on short rest? Nope. No. Wow. No. The rain, the rain out really helped the Phillies. Really more did. so than it helped the Astros. And yeah. so now you're looking at, you know, yeah, six would be would be beautiful. But if he, even if he goes five and he's okay. Um, then you, yeah, you you always think that you can get maybe 
uh three combined from alvarado and, and sir anthony so yeah that's that's the really important thing about the way rob thompson is managing the bullpen right now too he's not just looking at three outs per reliever he's looking at numbers between three and six and trying to put the pieces together based on how the matchups are, are lining up and, and where guys are at in terms of oh and they've, they've done a really good job too of using eflin just mostly against the back end of the lineup so Eflin comes out and there's more righties uh, in the back end of the lineup. He can do that righty on righty sinker uh, and uh, and sort of, you know, the you know, the back end of the Astros lineup needs to come through a little bit. That's why David Hensley was playing last night. That's why they've cycled through Aledmus Diaz and Trey Mancini. And it's been a little bit of a, a problem spot for them. DH, uh, the bottom of the lineup uh, producing. So uh, that's where they've been hiding Eflin. Uh, and then using Alvarado uh, for the mostly lefty part of the lineup and Sir Anthony for the mostly righty part of the top of the lineup. And it's been, I mean, I think Rob Thompson's done a pretty good job managing. I think he's, he's really opened my eyes and um, you know, it's, it, it is nice that, you know, people talk about his humility. Like, you know, he seems like uh, a guy who can listen uh, and listen to all sorts of, and he, and he grew up in analytics. He grew up in the Yankees. That's, that's growing up in analytics, you know, uh, but he has a pretty good feel uh, also as well. And people seem to really like him and he's managing the heck out of this series. Yeah. Yeah. He was on the Yankees when they won against Philly in 09. He was part of that staff. So I think he's, yeah, he's kind of seen it all. What I like is, as you said, he's, he's aggressively managing. He's managing like this is the world series. Sometimes the saves in the fifth inning. And I think too yeah. often, like we saw with the Padres and Josh Hader, right? These guys wait for the perfect <sighs> opportunity and they're so obsessed with like, well, the numbers and the blowback and this is how we do it. And that that's fine to a, to a point. But we're in the World Series now. You go with your gut. You lose with your best. And I like the way that he's not afraid to bring Alvarado in in the middle of the game because, hey, this might be the game. And you saw it. That's how they stole a game one win. And you might see it again tonight because remember that the Astros jumped all over Nola. Right. They, had, they were up 5 nothing really quick. So you might see that again tonight because the Phillies have a good lineup. And if he feels like this is where the game is, I like that he's kind of not afraid. Yeah, Plus, he didn't, he didn't have to use Alvarado and Sir Anthony. So if he uses Alvarado in the fourth, you know, to, to, to keep it within one run or something, you know, uh, you know, even if they're losing, that's okay. You could use them the next day, you know, and yeah. he'll get a rest day after that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can he can do whatever he wants tonight. That's it's pretty cool. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Stock have too high a price? Buy a slice. Trade fractional shares of your favorite U.S. stocks and ETFs in any dollar amount you choose with zero commissions online. Get started at fidelity.com slash stocks by the slice. Fractional share quantities can be entered to three decimal places if the value of the order is at least one cent. Dollar-based trades can be entered to two decimal places. Sell orders are subject to an activity assessment fee from one cent to three cents per $1,000 of principal. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Would either of you like to join me on the Phillies side of the picks for the series? You get one waffle opportunity mid-series, so you can, you can use your waffle now if you'd like to join me. I, I honestly think they might win this now. Uh, I yeah, thought last night was... 
win it here and it wouldn't surprise me, which is crazy. <laughs> I'm not willing to go quite that far yet. I think I'm sticking with six, but <laughs> because like low nice. low key, the Astros you talked about the bottom of the lineup. The heart of the lineup last night was like over fifteen, over sixteen. They did nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I just don't think that continues. I've got a lot of uh, I've got a lot of belief in uh, Jordan Alvarez and Alex Bregman and and Jose Altuve. Um, I think that the lineup starts to come through a little bit. Uh, I I also think uh, you know Jordan Alvarez. The one piece of kryptonite he has is a lefty, a really good lefty sinker. So I was looking through all his heat charts, and there is actually inside low lefty sinker. Uh, is the biggest blue spot I could find on Jordan Alvarez's heat map. So uh, I think that Suarez is the perfect pitcher to get Jordan Alvarez out. And now he's been kind of used so much, you know, I I don't think he can show up tonight. So I think Jordan Alvarez goes deep tonight. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think that they get Javier is a really underrated pitcher. Uh, he's a top 10 uh, pitcher by Stuff Plus. Uh, he's got great, great, great stuff. So if it is a night where he can command it, I think he, he could even actually push that. I know I said five, but I think he could push it six, seven if he's getting a ton of outs, if he's just striking everybody out. And he has that kind of stuff. So I could, see, I can easily see a game tonight where Javier shoves Jordan Alvarez homers and they even the series. And if they do that, uh, they still have a Verlander game. Uh, I know that, so to some that's that doesn't sound like a, an asset. I know, I know, but I think Verlander's a very good pitcher still. Um, and I think they're set up in game six and seven to have g- really good pitchers, have the pitching advantage, and be at home. All right, so you're staying on the Astros, I think. I'm gonna stay on that. the Astros, yeah. Okay, Britt, it sounds like you were yeah. willing to move. You're going to the Phillies. I'm, I'm gonna move. I think it's gonna be the Phillies, and honestly, I don't know. The, they haven't lost a game at home this year here, guys. It's a different atmosphere. I saw the Padres kind of, I don't want to say wilt, but they were definitely they, yes, they were definitely a little intimidated by, here's the thing. If the Phillies get out in front like they did last night, it's very, very hard to come back here. I think the crowd takes over. Um, mm. and it, you know, you saw it last night. How did the Astros not score any runs off some of these relievers? I get they yeah, didn't win the game. They were in an early hole, but I was just waiting for it to be seven to four. I don't right? think it's intimidation, though. I mean, the Astros have been more yelled at than any other team. <laughs> they have. They, they have. They are used to people saying things to them, man. They I think, have. That I is think a good Bregman's point. almost embraced the heel at this point, where he's like, he's like, you know, like Correa a little bit, like, yeah, yes. what you got? Yeah, <laughs> it's but see, like, I, if Philly comes out and jumps out and gets a run or two off Javier, like, I think. They could steal another one just because they're set up a little bit better with their bullpen. So they, don't, they haven't used any of those guys. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. Early it, it, legal is kind of huge tonight. Yeah. Is Nola going to learn from his last outing or, or is he going to, you know, is he going to make the adjustment or not? That seems to be kind of the, one of the big keys of the game, right? Because they're not going to keep climbing out of these 5 0 holes. So is he going to make the adjustment? And Nola has better not? command and a larger mix than Javier. And this, we, didn't we just play this game? <laughs> yeah so yeah i can't believe i'm picking the phillies now to win the world series um this is the craziest thing i've you guys think this is the most improbable world series if they win Be just because of how bad they were i it's I up there i don't know because i think you I, we make a lot of comparisons to this team to the nationals of 2019 right and and how how they manage their roster. But then you also yeah. think about how bad that Nationals team was up until like mid-May that year. And yeah. they turned yeah. everything around. And the Phillies, when they let Joe Girardi go, 
switched to Rob Thompson as their manager, they became kind of a different team from that point forward. And I think sometimes we we just we take the full season and we almost put too much weight on the very beginning when things were different. And like that waters down how good a team was. We talked about it, I think, on our preview show that the Phillies were an underperforming team relative to projections from Derek Cardi's system, the bat throughout the season. So they were probably better than we realized all along. So it may be surprising by record, surprising in, in that regard, but not as surprising when you look at it more from a pure numbers perspective of like what they put on this roster. This is a this is an expensive roster with star power that can do damage. So it's just finally playing the way it's supposed to over the last hundred games combined compared yeah. to how it played in the first 70 or so games. Yeah. The nationals were improbable, but they did not fire Davey. He was on the hot seat, but they didn't fire their manager, which I think, remember we talked about this, wasn't it the Marlins, the last team that won the world series in mm-hmm. a series where they fired a manager. Also what people forget about the nationals is they were bad, but they were hurt. They trade Turner and Anthony Rendon on the injured list. And then they had nobody basically playing up the middle and it was just awful baseball. So once those guys came back, they played well. The Phillies, it was just like, what's going on here? Why are they not performing? It wasn't like they were without, you know, Schwarber and Harper and all these big stars for most of the year. And then they turned it around when they came back. It wasn't really as simple as getting rid of Joe Girardi. Was that really it? I don't know. I I will always wonder if this team could have still figured it out with him because I, I don't as much as we like the way Rob Thompson managing this series and throughout the postseason the roster is the same and the injuries they dealt with the biggest injury they dealt with was Bryce Harper in the second half they played really yeah. well for a stretch without Harper when I think plenty of people thought they were going to fall apart for good reason right he's their best player it's just it's the way it can go for a wobbly team <laughs> well how about yeah. how about this uh for maybe a comparison you have to you have to remove 2010 and 2012 uh from your brain but the 2014 giants uh they went in july 12 and 14 august 16 and 12 september 14 and 12 on the season they were 88 and 74 uh and and the postseason they went 12 and 5 mm. Uh, they had as starters on their team Gregor Blanco, uh, Matt Duffy, uh, or Joe Panic. I don't know. Uh, Dan Uglo was on that team. Uh, is this that is... the World Series? He made all the errors. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but wow. uh, but there was a there was uh, this was the World Series where they said they don't have the pitching. Right? They had Bumgarner. Uh, and Kane, and then behind them, Hudson, uh, you know, the ghost of Tim Lincecum, uh, you know, Jake Peavy near the end of his career. They didn't want to pitch those guys, you know, and that's why Bumgarner had to throw a third of their innings. Now, the funny thing is, I, I, that was a, a team that I thought of as a, a map for the Phillies, uh, you know, as well, like just get the most out of your out of your best pitchers. But Nolan Wheeler haven't pitched that well, and that's been actually the other pitchers that have held the, the Astros yeah. down. So I don't know exactly what's going on there. I think this is weird. Yeah. I, I think a lot of this just comes back to how the playoffs work in the, the 2014 giants at that point, that was their third world series in five. Years. Right. So there was the, like we've like done been this before. There. Yeah, there, yeah. There's, yeah. There's no element of surprise to it. Whereas, you know, the Phillies is their first trip back to the world series in 13 years. So it's, it's been, right. it's been a little while. I had this conversation yesterday and I actually may, I don't know, do some kind of column on this, but someone brought up this point that this year has been super long. 
right? As we were talking about off air, the GM meetings, basically whoever wins, they're going to go from the parade to the GM meetings, but it's been super long. They cut down a lot of the travel days in the postseason, and we've had a really high quality play. We haven't had like a ton of, like there's not this huge star on the bench for either team. We haven't had a lot of injuries in the postseason. They've gotten really lucky considering they jammed a 162 game season and an expanded playoffs into a lockout season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm surprised at the at the quality as well, given the circumstances. It's been a great series so far. Yeah. Great playoffs you, overall, do, though, too. I, I do think you see some, some luck there because, you know, this, these, are two, these two teams, if Bryce Harper's broken thumb had happened at a different time, you know, everything everything is different. And then but Alex Bredman had that even that's a hit-by-pitch, huge... pitch, though. That's not from overuse. Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that maybe some teams did some more load management this year, you know, like just healthy days off. Uh, I know, I don't, I don't know if I'm biased by being in San Francisco, but they definitely did that a lot here. You know, there were days where they're just told Brian Crawford, even though he felt fine, like he had to sit. So, yeah. you know, they I think their team is doing a little bit more of that, but yeah, it is kind of amazing. Um, maybe, maybe the everyday mentality just, uh, just worked out for them this year. Yeah. But they've been great games, like pretty much. I think. What, I don't know what you guys think, but I think this has been a really exciting postseason. And they got really lucky that there just wasn't like a rash of injuries, given what they tried. The to championship do. series were a weird low. There was like everything was like really kind of exciting going up, and then the championship series were blowouts, both of them. And then we had to wait five days for the World yeah. Series. I thought the NL was better. It was more closely played than it seemed. You know, the Astros, Yankees was just. Like it, the Yankees look dead. <laughs> that just happened. Astros Yankees just happened. Like the Astros can't be this dead. Like, you know, the Astros can't have just like turned into the Yankees. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I, I think they've still got life. They it, ate it the is... Yankees and then became them. You're right. Terrible. You're right. No, that's not what happened. But then you you do wonder though, like Dusty Baker didn't really make any managerial decisions in that series at all. And I feel like here mm. he's twice left his starter in too long to the detriment of the series. Mm. Yeah, it's, I'm going to be curious to see if anything changes with the approach at all as we move through the series. I would lean no. I think this is kind of this is what you get. This is this is who Dusty is, you know, for better or for worse. This is these are his tendencies and this is the way he runs well i don't know if that maybe it's a reaction because uh, you know in san francisco the big moment that everyone remembers is leaving in russ ortiz no taking russ ortiz out too early hmm. game i think it was game six of that world series in 2002 he goes and he takes russ ortiz out early and he also gives him the ball as a uh souvenir as he walks off the mound uh which people were like that's that's bad mojo <laughs> because at that point they were up three, two uh, and they were up in the game and uh, he was going to Fernando Rodney. And it seemed like that was, that was going to be shutting the door and they were going to, they were going to win the world series right there. And then that's not what happened. Well, we've got a few other topics we should get to the gold glove awards were given out. Just, they just kind of happened. Basically everything's got to happen at the same time because the lockout yeah, everything's all jammed together. I just had a couple of things that, that kind of caught my eye. Uh, Ramon Urias getting a gold glove at third base is kind of awesome because Ramon Urias didn't play that much third base prior to this season. So 
it's not an easy place to win the gold glove in the first place. So to do that as a relatively new position, at least for an everyday kind of role, that I thought was one of the better stories. And Vlad Jr. getting a gold glove. How many people were, were predicting any gold gloves in the career of Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? I think that was a, a bit of a pleasant surprise to see that. I know as a prospect, he's a third baseman. He's moved to first, but still. I think that's a give some credit where credit is due situation. Yeah, I thought the uh, gold glove to uh, Nolan Arenado is not one that on the surface uh, seems at all like uh, a stretch. But Cabrian Hayes and the Pittsburgh Pirates tweeted this out uh, on their Twitter channel. So I'll give their PR team credit on this. Uh, Cabrian Hayes led all of baseball uh, in defensive runs saved. So uh, he also beat uh, Nolan Arenado in outs above average um, and was second uh, to him in ultimate zone rating. Now, uh, I think ultimate zone rating UZR is the worst publicly available uh, defensive stat uh, that's out there. And so if you uh, lead all the baseball in defensive run saved and are the best third baseman by outs above average, to me, you're probably the best defensive third baseman. However... As a waffler, I have to admit, Nolan Arenado is excellent, and he's won a bunch of gold gloves. And if you just want to give him the sort of shine of the incumbent, you know, like, you know, this is the, he hasn't shown us that he's fallen off, so he give him the gold glove again. I'm all right. I'm okay with it. I guess this, this is know? boxing. Could Brian Hayes has to has to knock him out to <laughs> yeah. can't win a decision. We have to actually see some like it has to be like a little bit more obvious that Arnado has declined. I think yeah, I think there's some of that. You know, there's I always had this theory about the Oscars, which is you <laughs> get nominated for the movie where you should have won, yes. and then you win later on. Uh, when you've become more established as a as a leading man or whatever, so you know, I think there were. I, I think that the 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 Oscars kind of worked that way, and I wouldn't be surprised if Gold Gloves had a little bit of that to them. Yeah, I agree. There's a fair amount of politics. I think when they announced just the the nominees, people were like, "Ah, there's some snubs," and there always is, right? And I think right. some of the guys, even in the mix, like Juan Soto. Um, kind of made you wonder, like, wait, what? So Juan Soto is nominated, but not Manny Machado, right? Like, you kind of look at yeah. it, and you're like, wait a second. Right, um, because Juan Soto had a, like, it, I defended him and say that I think he can get back to being a good defender. He had an awful defensive cool. year. Awful. Just and it was bad. on full display in the playoffs. Oh, um, like, yeah, there was, every time, like, I remember I said, I had some trade analysis where I was like, and he's no slouch in the field. And people were like, Really? And then <laughs> and after and after people had that feedback, I was like, I'm gonna close watch him now. And I was like, yo, it's awful. <laughs> yo, yo, low key, every time the ball was hit out to him in the NLCS, you were like, is it gonna be an out? Maybe he lost maybe a lot of sprint speed. I don't know why. Uh maybe yeah. he just focused on bulking up for power or something, but he lost a lot of sprint speed. His jumps weren't great, you know. Uh, yeah. the arm has never been, you know, plus plus. So I don't know. It was a uh, it was a, a poor year for him out there. Yeah. I'm surprised so, he got nominated. Yeah. So the gold. I mean, they're a little political. I it was kind of cool. Cleveland had four Gold Glove winners, which is like an organizational record. So um, shout out to them. That stood out as well. I don't think that they didn't deserve any of them. Uh, you no. Know. No. There. I mean, that was how that team was built, right? Um, yeah. The hitting was always like, eh, can they hit? But the pitching and defense was there, and um, you know, I think. It is unfortunate with the way everything is kind of sandwiched together. It was a little bit of an afterthought yesterday at the World Series. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, the Gold Glove Awards just dropped. 
it's like, well, it's game three of the World Series, so who really cares? <laughs> yeah, so, right? like, uh, everyone swim moved right past that. Like, yeah. what if they announce the science? I mean, it's not it's not going to work out that way, but barely, you know. Like, yeah. uh, we're gonna, the I World Series is going to end, and on that Thursday, we're going to start getting like rookies of the year. Basically, and like honestly, it would have been like a great it's a great time for like a news dump if we'll be having any negative news because it's just like eh, the World Too Series is going on. on still. Yeah, yeah. Like, who cares? <laughs> the World Series is still going on, um, which is why I think they should have had Rob Manfred address the media in a group, and he didn't because you know no matter what he says, it kind of makes headlines negatively. But honestly, the World Series is going to absorb all that anyway. So yeah, he got a pass on those Oakland comments, which oh, because he didn't I think speak. We're... I literally asked him. I personally <laughs> asked him in a group of like twenty people, and he just walked. Can you on. talk about that? Yeah, yeah. he just walked uh, away. Didn't even didn't even say no. He just he said, "I'm done talking about Oakland," which people on Twitter really enjoyed. Oh, was that the uh, answer to your question? Yeah, that's my question. And then oh, I saw a lot then, of people tweet that out without without. Of course, of course, because they were in the vicinity, right? But right, no one wants to right. actually be the person who asks him a question. Um, but then he did talk to the LA Times later that night and walked back everything he said to Mad Dog. Um, Which actually, honestly, if you saw the full context, is you know, if you saw the full context of the Mad Dog interview, you know, he goes on right after he says you know, some stuff about Vegas to be like, yeah, Oakland can still work out. And I don't know if it's going to work out in Vegas, but he, he walked it back even in the interview with Mad Dog. But basically yeah. he basically said he's just not uh, very uh, upbeat about the chances of uh, there being baseball, a new stadium in Oakland. Um, and I think that's the same thing that you feel here in Oakland because we had, uh, you know, in Oakland, there was the political will on some level. There was leadership in place that would have been positive votes in terms of the city council. The mayor had actually made this something that she wanted. Uh, so that was a good sign. Now there's going to be an election. There might be new people in these places. You have to kind of get all the votes again. The idea in Vegas is the opposite, which is that nobody wanted to. This wasn't a good political idea to say, let give us more money for an, another team before the elections. And the thinking is that after the elections, they'll come out and be like, all right, time to get the, the time to get the A's, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Uh, it'd be much more interesting to see what happens, what people are saying in December uh, than it is uh, in October because uh, the elections, you know, it's a, it's a, it's always a political football in terms of, you know, do we want to do the stadium or not? And in most places, asking for taxpayers for money, especially if you're Vegas, when you just ask them for money for a Raiders stadium, you know, that uh, you're going to come asking again. Uh, I think it's not something you want to admit before the elections. I think so long as the owners keep Rob Manfred as the commissioner of Major League Baseball. The strategy is basically how many damage strokes can you avoid if you're playing golf? Are you going to bogey this hole? Are you going to double bogey this hole? Or are you going to triple bogey this hole? Because that's, that's like the best three outcomes you can get with Manfred delivering news. People are always mad no matter what yeah. he says. Yeah. So the goal should be to bogey as many holes as possible hmm. in this case. That means Friday news dumps, walk it back, you know, carefully maybe, maybe manage, not, maybe send not your PR minions out to be like, that's not exactly what he said, you know. Yeah. No, what he was just trying to say is this. Off the record, I can tell you this. <laughs> I just think, and I was talking to somebody um, in baseball about this, that the fact that he's not good with the media is just bad for the sport. Because you see, I mean, listen, like, 
you know, you know, in the NBA, Adam Silver is beloved, right? You know, not every commissioner is going to be like that. But you also know that there is an art to, and every GM in baseball does this, to talking and being pleasant and saying nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's helpful because reporters are like, well, he was nice. And then you're, you go upstairs and you realize you got absolutely you nothing. nothing right? But you came yeah. away with a positive experience, right? Um, you don't get that experience when you're talking to the commissioner. And because of that, it seems like he talks less and less. And I think it's just not good for the sport of baseball to not have this front-facing commissioner talking at every every big event, not not holding court at the World Series and you know the GM meetings and the winter meetings and spring training. And you know Gary Bettman is loathed by most of the NHL except for the owners. But that guy talks. He talks multiple times during the Stanley Cup. I was talking to a hockey reporter yesterday, and they were like, "Well, Bettman doesn't talk that much. You know, he talks at the Stanley Cup and he talks here and here and here." And I'm like, "It's already." twice as much as we hear from Rob Manfred, who really talks two, maybe three times a year in a big setting. So you get that BBWAA meeting at the all-star game. That's, you know, maybe a spring training one, maybe, maybe, Um, but that's not one central one because you know, that's it's all over the place. Yeah. And so it's like, I just think for a sport that's trying to grow and trying to continue to stay relevant in the national spotlight um, to do less media and less availability is just bad for the sport. Maybe someone told him it's better if you don't talk so much. I'm sure they did. I'm, I'm, sure, they, I'm sure they have <laughs> that figured actually, that out. In this case, I don't think that was good advice in the long run, even though it, it probably it, it makes each time he speaks like a little less terrible. It still doesn't <laughs> help. It doesn't push things in the right direction overall. Well, I mean, in this case, he, he the Oakland thing, he is just advocating for what the owners want. You know, yeah. the owners want free stadiums. And he's advocating for that. So, you know, he's he's doing his job, I guess. Yeah. You know, maybe Las Vegas won't give him a free stadium. So <laughs> always that possibility. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We had a question come in from one of our listeners, OJ, Oren, and the question was about Aaron Judge and whether he is the typical free agent, big contract that could go wrong because of his age, because of career home road splits this year. That wasn't really a factor at all. He was just great everywhere, of course, in this amazing 2022 season that he had, uh, but especially with the age and and size combination. And I think... The size argument in particular is strange because there are so few comps in baseball. There are pl- there are very few players in baseball history that are built like Aaron Judge. So I don't know if you can look at how a handful of guys aged over time years ago and say, oh, Aaron Judge isn't going to age well. But I'm interested to know, especially given where he's at in his career right now, do you see 
Aaron Judge's long-term contract, which will be a great contract, and we want players to get paid. Do you see this being the kind of contract that is regretted in the end, similar to Miguel Cabrera's contract with the Tigers and you know Albert Pujols' deal with the Angels where he ended up back in St. Louis and all of those kinds of nightmare, air quotes, free agent contracts that, that we've seen over the years. And there aren't even that many of them. I feel like this is the... This is a boogeyman in some ways. Like this is a thing that fans and people who love baseball fear more than they probably should. But is there legitimate collapse concern in a seven or eight year deal for Aaron Judge coming off a an historically great season? I'll throw this one to you first. You know, there is always. Uh, I just saw a 2011 Jeff Zimmerman piece where he looked at how star players age versus the rest of the population, and there was no meaningful difference. Uh, I was a little surprised to see that, but I think what happens is stars play at such a high level, they can age like everybody else and still be good. And so that there is an aspect of that where Aaron Judge just put up you know, a top 20 season of all time and that he had an 11 win season that is such an amazing season that you can build in all this decline off of that uh, and still he'll be still be super valuable. So I think everybody's going to want to sign him and I think everybody nobody's going to sign him to 10 years. So I think what you know nobody wants him at 40 uh, because of the size and the age and the durability and he's already 30. Uh, but everybody wants him on a seven-year deal. I would expect him to uh, break the average annual salary record uh, for position players, which right now is Mike Trout at $35 million. So if you give him $36 million for seven years, about $252 million. That's my prediction. Seven years, $252 million. Uh, and he's only a real problem uh, for the team in maybe one of those years. Hmm. What do you think, Britt? I think his first number starts with three. You think it's 252, you know? I think he... I think it would start with three if he went to 10, but I just don't think that anybody wants to go to 10 years. Yeah, I wonder if it's a contract that's kind of structured as like having some some opt-outs and has that total value of $300 million. I think that matters mm, to a lot maybe of guys, to like, right? Maybe he has to vest. Yeah, like maybe, you, games maybe like we'll give you ten, but you got to vest the last three somehow, you know. Yeah, I think the, the you know you you add in these like incentives, and I think for him a big one is games played because you're worried about injury later in the career, right? So yeah, hundred um, percent. Maybe you so structure. It like I that. might sign him to ten if I say like in order to get years eight, nine, and ten, you have to you have to have at least five hundred plate appearances, you know, in the yeah. year before. Yeah, because now we're in this realm of like the DH. And I mean, obviously it was in the American League before that. But so like it doesn't necessarily matter if he ages out of playing in the field. As long as he's healthy enough to hit in his later years, that's what's probably going to be the most value anyway. Right. He's not going to play this really great outfield for 10 years. Um, Especially I wonder. Yeah, like I wouldn't I don't even think I want to play him in center field next year. You know? Yeah. Like I wonder how big he is, how he ages. Right. You, You do wonder about that. I think projecting body type is really tough because he's he's not he's not built quite the same way as Pujols or Miggy. He plays the outfield. Those guys played first base, and yeah. I think there's more athleticism with Judge at this age than there was with those two players at that age. I'm only using those two because they were the ones that were mentioned in the email. I do think the strikeout rate is actually something that I wonder about. Some of it is just the way the game is right now. Everyone strikes out more than they did 10 or 15 years ago. 
But how does that aspect of Judge's game age? That and the that way that Agent Curves work, set. he's going to return to a thirty percent strikeout rate. You know, like yeah, he's he's at twenty five percent now, but that's he's in his peak. So you know, as the years come on, he's going to strike out more and more, and he's going to strike out thirty percent again. So at the end of his career, you'd expect him to strike out thirty percent of the time. You're just hoping he's still walking ten to fifteen percent of the time and and hitting a, a bunch of jacks, but the batting average will go back down too. Yeah. And like, I also think, it, yeah, maybe it'll be a bad contract over 10 years. You're the Yankees. You haven't won since 2009 now. And you've been playing this weird, like, let's not make splashy moves. Just sign mm-hmm. the guy. I don't really care what he wants. Just sign him. Like stop, stop operating. Like you're a mid market. Well, you're the giants. Who's like created a whole mix and match universe where you've got all these little pieces that pitch together. Get, get the, you know, get the king piece and like yeah, like you know? <laughs> there's something to be said for the Phillies and Middleton and spending money, right? And right. what they've been able to do here, and it's kind of like what kind of makes you want to pull for the Phillies because you're like, wow, maybe other owners would be like, yeah, let's do this. You know, you're starting to see you saw the Cardinals um, say that they were going to raise payroll. It's time to win. Like, let's see that more now. Let's see these teams go in, buy these free agents. Remember, Harper got crushed during that whole winter and Manny Machado about how they weren't worth this money. You know, they were so expensive. Well, last I checked, Harper is worth this just for this year alone. And Manny Machado carried the Padres to the NLCS. So maybe we do need to be spending money on free agents. Maybe going out and buying guys and and worrying later about whether the the deal got done or not got done. If Aaron Judge wins a World Series in New York, no one's going to care if he sucks his last three years. It's just... just, How it goes. No one's going to care. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, you know, the way they actually, the the way that they collectively bargain these uh, playoffs to go, I expected to see, oh, there's two more teams in. That means everybody can just be mediocre. It didn't really work out that way. I think the teams that tried were rewarded for it, you know? Like, for example, the Phillies were a team that could have sat and been like, hey, we can probably win 86, 87 uh, wins without adding a lot more to this team, you know, Uh, and then just try to get hot and go through the playoffs. But they added. They tried to get better. Uh, and if you think about like the Padres, they were a wild card team. They added, they tried to get better. They, they added salary at the, at the, at the, uh, at the trade deadline. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think most teams, uh, seem to want to get that buy. you know, the Dodgers may have even tired themselves out a little bit trying to get that buy. Yeah. Uh, and most, and the buy didn't turn out to be like something where everybody who had a buy lost. So, uh, you know, I think, yeah. uh, I think the way that this is structured, teams still want to get better, still want to spend a little bit, and they avoided just the every team wants to build an 88-win te- team and see if they can win. Yeah, outside of Cleveland. They really weren't trying. And I'd like to see <laughs> – I don't know. Have you guys seen this anywhere? I'd like to see Cleveland be like, you know what? We're going to spend now because we see the beginning of this. We're going we're gonna to spend some money. Has anyone we keep, seen that? We keep li- listening for that, but I haven't heard it. Okay. I don't nice. think it's going to happen. I mean – they could and should because they would get a lot better on top yeah. of all the young talent coming. Up. They used to. They spent a bunch of money when they were good, when they were in the World Series. And then it was like, oh, can't do that anymore. Uh, I'm going to be talking about this this weekend at the, the first pitch conference in uh, Arizona. But the balance schedule is something that people don't talk about very much. And I think that uh, it is actually going to be really interesting for a team like Cleveland. The Cleveland Guardians had a 3 6 seven ERA against everybody that was outside of their division and a three, two, three ERA against everybody inside their own division. 
Uh, the Cardinals uh, slugged like 20 points higher in division than they did outside of their division. So mm-hmm. there's going to be uh, a little bit of a reckoning uh, for some of these teams in the in the worst divisions. How they respond to that is going to be very interesting. They now have to play everybody. Everybody plays everybody. You can't just beat up on the Royals uh, or the A's or whatever and, and bank those wins. So uh, we're going to see a little bit of a change in baseball this coming season. Well, there's uh, a lot to get to as we move through the winter, but fortunately, we still have a little bit more baseball left. I think between now and the time the three of us get to record another pod, we will have a World Series champion. Britt has joined me on the dark side. I don't think it's the dark side. I think it's the and I'm the king of waffles and chose not yeah. to waffle. I'd like to let I'd like to put that in the record. You know, refrain from waffling and want a trophy for for doing that. So trophy ideas. Um, I mean, honestly, I should go back and find that clip where I just crushed the Phillies like in June or something. And now I'm like, yeah, I think they're gonna win this. I think they're gonna lose another game. Not the waffler for once. I yes. think that the Phillies takes I can remember. I remember when Bryce Harper got hurt. I think I remember you said they were toast. Yes, I think when when they fired Joe Girardi and replaced him with you said it wasn't going to make a bench coach. I said it wasn't going to matter. I agree yeah. with you. Okay, so that, that's just why. Why would the manager's best friend in the dugout? Why would he change anything? And well, here here we are. So hey, I'll, I'll I'll take the I'll take the small L. It's uh, just for, for being skeptical of the managerial change. But least. you did pick them in the series, so. I should have been picking them in every series so far, though. Like I, I had the the early inkling, and I, I came back late. So I'm here. I'm here for it, Philly. I hope. I uh, hope you find a way to uh, get it done. That's going to do it for this episode of the Three O Show. You can find us on Twitter. Britt is at Britt underscore Giroli. Eno's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you want to read all the great coverage we have on the site, theAthletic.com/slash/baseballshow gets you a subscription for one dollar a month for this first six months. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. Always got the green light here. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.